0: everybody's doing well Uh, this morning. um, I don't know how many college basketball fans there are. My bracket's toast. And what's sad is, is that Christian, I don't know if he's in here, his is doing well, so I hate him. And Sandy's in here. she's, she's, She's still got a chance at it. So anyways, I just thought I would confess to you my sinfulness before I started speaking, my struggles, my my burdens that I have to bear this week, you know, they're, they're deep and they're troubling. But here's where we're going to be. We're going to be uh, bringing everything to a close in 2 Corinthians. If you got your Bibles, though, actually don't go to 2 Corinthians. I want you to go to actually Matthew 28. Uh, we're going to look back at the Great Commission and I'll explain to you why here in just a little bit. Now, one of the things that's so crucial about understanding 2 Corinthians, and I really do believe if, if any song could explain what it was that 2 Corinthians is about, that last song we just sang is a, I wish in some ways that could be the, the backtrack to reading of this particular letter, because in so many ways, it's, a, it's the, the heartbreak of walking with Jesus, the, the difficulty of walking with Jesus, but the hope that we have still in Christ as we walk along that way. Now, we've, we've walked through a lot of different realities with the book of 2 Corinthians, but let me, let me kind of frame for you where we're going today so that you can kind of understand how I want to bring it to a close. This entire letter in 1 Corinthians, I would always, I've always told people this. If you want to understand Paul's view of Jesus in writing these two letters, I think the book of Matthew sitting in the background is perfect to understand it. Now, let me explain why. In 1 Corinthians 5, right, we talk about the sinning brother that gets turned over to Satan. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That comes from Matthew 18. You have different reverberating realities of Matthew 16. In Matthew 19, it's all about what happens in, in 1 Corinthians 7. There's just so many truths that weave through it. But one truth that I think captures in a very powerful way, the whole book of 2 Corinthians is the Great Commission in in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you remember right, last week I I kind of referenced it and we talked about it a little ways. But what I want to do is I want you to see what fueled Paul's fire. What really got him up in the morning and got him excited about what he was doing, regardless of what was going on, regardless of the circumstances, the realities he was facing, there was something that kept pushing him forward in what he did. And this morning what I want to do is I want to help us kind of to understand that. So what we're going to do is, is a little bit's going to be a review from last week, but I'm going to try to connect some dots into 2 Corinthians 4 as we bring it to an end, because here's what I want for all of us. I want for the same thing that I believe drove Paul, this great commission, this, this, this message that was given by Jesus, this last charge to the apostles that I think he grabbed hold of with everything that he was, I want that to grip your heart like it never has before. I want you to leave today with a greater and a grander excitement for joining Jesus in what he's doing. If you don't know Jesus today, I would love for you to encounter the great Messiah, the one that all of the Old Testament foretold about for hundreds and hundreds of years, and he arrived and all of these prophecies were fulfilled. I want you to encounter that Jesus today, because listen to me, I really do believe that once we've encountered that Jesus, and that Jesus has captured us and continues to capture us, we then can be like Paul and and view life from a whole new lens that, regardless of what goes on, I think Paul would sing with, with the same song we just sang, It is Well with My Soul. That's what I want for everybody here. So, in Matthew 28, we know this again from last week. So let's just review a little bit. Jesus Christ has just finished his ministry. Now, and if you think about it, I, my kids and I were talking the other day, and we were, we were rapping back and forth, who would you like to meet from history? and so like you know i was i said somebody um um, my uh my daughter said somebody and then my son steps forward you know being the spiritual one in our family says well i'd want to meet jesus when he was here okay fine (laughs) you know but i was like well like why buddy he goes like can you imagine walking with him while he was here on earth now being with jesus had shocked these guys right i mean you think about it you go back and look at it Uh, a guy walked on water people coming back from the dead Um, Jesus calming storms I mean it must have been absolutely mind-blowing for these dudes and then all of a sudden he's dead right he's dead and then to kick it off coming into this suddenly he's not dead he's alive and they're standing there they come back to this hill that he tells them to come to in verse 16 they were faithful to that Jesus shows up at that point and it says that some worshiped him but look at that some what doubted a lot of them were just looking at Jesus. This would have been the 11 apostles at this particular time because we know that Judas committed suicide. But they're now in this moment of wondering what happens now. Now, little do they know, Jesus, we learned from then Acts 1, is about ready to go back to the Father. But he's going to give them a last message that he wants them to get. And last week we went through this. all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's his message. Now, in some ways it's simple, but in some ways I think we have to kind of understand it a little bit to understand what drove Paul, what drove Paul and what I think so much is, is littered with the book of Second Corinthians. See, the first thing that we run into that's so important for us to get in verse 18 is Paul's understanding of Jesus. Now just think of it for a second. Jesus' claim that all, okay, there's, a, there's, a, there's this Greek word that's used there, and what it means in English is all. All. That means there is no other. Every aspect of authority that is available in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is no one that has authority that I have. Now that is a huge statement. Oh. Now, in some ways, I think they got it. This is the Jesus, again, that spoke to the wind, and it was calm. He told people to stand up, and they walked. He said, stretch out your hand, and they stretched it out. He spit in dirt and put it on their eyes, which is freaky. But they saw. This is this Jesus that that even tells demons what to do. And so when he says, I have all authority, these guys must have been okay. He was the God-man, perfectly God, holy God, perfectly man, holy man. He was encompassing all of that, and he stands before them and says, this is who I am. And let me tell you this, when we read the book of 2 Corinthians, you cannot read 2 Corinthians without an understanding that Paul had believed this with everything that he was. He believed that this Jesus had all authority. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, he says to them, I was just an enemy of God, and being this enemy of God in 2 Corinthians 2.14, I was one now that was captured by Jesus, and being captured by Jesus then, I wasn't made a slave like we think of a slave. I was made a slave that became an ambassador. I became a son of the very king that now is able to now proclaim to the world the greatness of Jesus Christ. Paul had encountered this one who had all authority. See, this is what's so important, why we have to teach Jesus. See, if we teach ourselves, if we teach nice antidotes, if we teach nice little, you know, stories about our life, and we don't teach Jesus, then we're not bringing you into encounter with the great one who has all authority. And again, my hope this morning is that if you have lost that sight of this great one Jesus, or if you've never encountered him, that this morning after you hear this, you will be begging and pleading to know this great Jesus. And so that's where it starts. Now where this hits the ground, it's kind of crazy in some ways. He's going to tell them to go make disciples of all nations. I want you, and the, the idea of a disciple that we're talking about in this context is I want you to go make learners. I want you to go make ones that know me, love me, follow me. That's what I want you to do, and that's crazy. Now, just think about it in our world because I think this still applies to us. This one with all authority says, I want y'all, okay, because he, he, you don't understand this, but Jesus and Paul were Southern. They spoke in y'all. It should say y'all. Y'all. Amen. Amen. They're from Mississippi, not Georgia. Don't get it wrong. But he says, I want you to go tell them in a completely relativistic, multicultural, all religions are equal, that Jesus is the only way. That's what I want you to go tell them. I want you to tell them there's no way to the Father but by me. I want you to tell them that there is no life, there's no hope, there's no nothing apart from me. I want you to go tell them that. And let me tell you something. I don't think it's gotten any easier today to walk into a culture and to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, period. Uh, Anunca, and I don't know any other words for never in any other language. None. I want you to go tell all the religions. I want you to go tell all the philosophies. I want you to go tell everyone that Jesus is the only way to God. I want you to tell him that only he's the one that can forgive you of your rebellion against your creator. I want you to go tell people that only Jesus can provide the righteousness to rightly stand before him one day as the judge and king of the universe because while he might have come the first time as a humble servant, I promise you, all of you that are sitting here today, Jesus Christ is not gonna come back as a humble servant He is coming back one day as King of kings and Lord of lords and judge of all. And so therefore, we're supposed to go tell people, your philosophy and your religion is insufficient to stand before that Jesus one day. I want you to go tell them that only Jesus is the way to to, to ever inherit eternal life. I want you to go tell them that, and here's the reality. He knew that in telling them that, some of you are going to get killed, which from what we understand, potentially 10 of the 11 died as martyrs that particular time. And at best, you're going to get ridiculed as arrogant and an intolerant and a dangerous person. No big deal. Go make disciples. Why? I want you to go do it because I have all authority. That's why. On some levels, like if, if you're my kids, they, they might look at me and go, okay, you better have better than that, bro. I even thought that as a kid. Okay, I get it. Your dad, your mom, but, oh. Which I'm so glad Into that, he adds something to this. Look at the next, look at the very last verse, very end of it. There's a promise. I want you to go tell them this. I want you to go speak on my behalf and to be exclusive, to be gracious and humble and kind and caring and loving, to not be Christian jerks, which for some reason the church has a phenomenal tendency to produce. I want you to go. I want you to look at people and care for people. And when you go with that message, when you go tell them that, when you go are honest with them, when you go speak truth to them in love, when you go with them, I am right there with you. Now let me tell you something. If the safest place in all of existence is to be right there with Jesus, I, my question is, why don't we go there more? I want you to be there. I'm with you. And we know how he's going to be with them, and John, he promised them, I'm going, to t- I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Now that must have been crazy for them to hear about in John 14 through 16 oh, by the way, when I leave, I'm going to send another called the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come to you, and you're going to stand before kings one day, and you're not going to know what to say, but suddenly he'll give you the words that you're going to say. How in the world are you going to be with us? I'm going to send to you my Holy Spirit, and he's going to empower you to be the people that you've called me to be. This is what Paul believed deep within his gut that when Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, he knew that wherever he went, because the Holy Spirit never leaves his people, he would be there with him. And man, Paul went. I was reading the book of Acts this week. Paul was crazy. Man, like, when I was in high school, I got stoned, but not like Paul. (laughs) Stoned, beaten, left for dead. Why Paul? Because he encountered that Jesus. See, this is what's so important in your own time, in your time with other people, the reason that we need people around us. This is why Paul was calling to this church in Corinth to have a unity and a love and a care for one another in chapter 13. I want you even to get to the point of your unity that you would greet one another with a holy kiss. That's how tight I want you to be. And so, man, wait for the coming weeks when we learn about how Cornerstone's gonna start practicing the holy kiss, did you know at that time that was abnormal like it is now? Especially for men and women to do it. But yet in some way, Paul tells them, and again, we're, we're not going to do holy kissing. I barely like to hug people. But like, we're, there's this side of it though that speaks to this intimacy. Intimacy. I want you to develop such a tight intimacy, such a love with other people that they're able now to point you to this one, this Jesus who has all authority, who will always be with us in all ways, in all times. That's what I want you to do. Paul says, this is the Jesus I want you to encounter. This is how I want you to be together. This is what 2 Corinthians just reeks of. But Jesus didn't just stop there. In it, I think this is what's really key. After this promise he goes through, he gives them, here's my authority because it's such an outrageous mission. Here's the hope that I'm going to be with you in all times. But now he begins to unload for them what it is that he wants them to do. And look at verse 20. That's really where I want to be today to kind of help us understand, I think, what Paul was doing. It says in there, here's the key. Teaching them to observe all things. I have commanded you. Now, what does teaching mean? The hard part about living in our culture today, we think of teaching as what kind of I'm doing right now, which is a kind of an awkward form of teaching, preaching, kind of all put together, but it's very monologue. It's very much me talking to you and you sitting there going, you know, either, oh, wow, Todd, that was a great insight, or, wow wow, Todd, that was really stupid, or whatever's going through your mind right now. The teaching, though, that Paul's talking here, let me just make sure you understand this, is a little different than, I think, what we have in our, our grasp, or excuse me, what, what Jesus is talking about, which Paul embraced. This teaching that he's talked about is, it, we're found in, in, in Acts 5, oops, I should have done all those. There we go, Acts 5. Now, let me, let me kind of show this to you. In Acts 5, the, the apostles and all the disciples are turned loose. And in being turned loose, and we find out in verse 18 that a group of them had been imprisoned for what they'd been. And here's the key, teaching. We know that at that one point, finally, the, a, a, an angel of the Lord comes into them, releases them. And in verse 25, look at this. It says afterwards, someone came and told them, that's the Sanhedrin, look. The men who you put in prison whom this angel of the Lord had let out are standing in the temple and look what they're doing. They're what? Teaching the people. Now somebody once told me teaching is for Christians and you know preaching and evangelism is for unbelievers then what in the world were they doing? They were teaching. They were with the people. We know that then they go and get them after they thrown them in jail. They bring them back to them, and they're they're surprised that they had done that. And the high priest basically looks at them, verse twenty-eight, and he says, "We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Now I love this statement. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, they've been exclusivistic. They told them the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they're standing right now. And here's the word that I think is so key. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, meaning you have brought a teaching that has passed on to others and passed on to others and passed on to others, and you are filling the city with it. Now, let me ask you something. How cool would it be with us and, and maybe Grace Brethren and Discovery again? I can't name all the churches, but all the churches in See Me, if we got to the point where we heard this statement, the churches have filled See Me with the teaching. <laughs> that would be cool. Now, this teaching again is about an exclusive Jesus. Don't miss that. He says, I want you to teach them all that I command you. I want you, to, I want you to teach them everything about him. I want you to teach the whole counsel of God. And what happened was, is that teaching that they had stopped these guys in their tracks and said, don't you understand that this teaching you had is filling our whole city with it? Stop it. Now here's the result in verse 42. You ready for what they did? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus, that Christ is Jesus. In other words, uh -uh. we're going to keep teaching Jesus. See, it wasn't just Paul. The early church was gripped by it. They were gripped by a form of teaching that includes in there, when you get to this particular verse, a them. It's a teaching about this exclusive Jesus. Again, not in arrogance, not being jerks, not being so often the time the Christians are, but humbly, meekly beginning to present to people the greatness and the grandness of Jesus. And the them that he's talking about there are all nations, meaning this is a teaching that goes and spreads and keeps moving and it never stops. It just keeps infecting everywhere it goes in the good sense of the word. I want you just to keep it moving. Now this is what I mean. So often that the teaching sometimes that we do from the front is we think oh, i know i'm gonna i'm gonna get christian to do this or i'm gonna get chris to do it or i'm gonna get todd to do it or or terry to do it. i'm gonna get somebody else to teach for me but there was something about this teaching that wasn't limited to just a select group of people but it was a teaching that was spreading all over the place it was a teaching that people were gri- being gripped by that was going from house to house it was landing itself into the temples now what is it what was it about this Well, I think when he says, go and make disciples and observe all I've commanded you, I think what he's saying here is that I want you to teach in such a way that you're not telling people what to think, but how to think, so that they can grasp and understand the gospel, and it keeps spreading in all kinds of ways. This is what Paul was teaching. I want to land teaching into Corinth in such a way that you grasp it, understand it, and then you keep that teaching going because I need to move on to other places and you need to spread it around Corinth and all of Achaia. I need to be able to do this, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to grasp this teaching, understand this teaching for yourself. This is why I want to teach the Bible and let you all think. My job is not to tell you what to think. My job is to open up the text and tell you how to think through it. I could be wrong on some of this, so my expectation is is that you'd come up to me and you'd tell me that I'm wrong. Paul, when he went into Corinth all the time as an apostle of Jesus Christ, went in knowing that he was teaching the truth of Jesus to these people, but he was teaching in such a way that they wouldn't just get what to think, but they would also know how to think so that message would be spread. I grew up uh, as a pastor inside a student ministry, and I'll tell you what, we indoctrinated way too many kids. So many of them that they got to college and they didn't know a thing to think about and they got completely swayed by where they were because all they were is indoctrinated. We didn't teach them the greatness and the grandness of Jesus to think for themselves, to, to think with other people, to wrestle through the text. Instead what did we do? We just told them, believe this. This is what you have to understand. This is how you don't go to hell. This is how you are morally good with you're with us. This is how you keep from having sex outside of marriage. In other words, we told them all these things but we forgot to tell them the greatness and the grandness and the marvelousness of Jesus. And so by the time they got to college, they realized so many things that were outside of what we told them. And I watched as so many of the kids that I walked through student ministry walked away from Jesus Christ. That's this teaching. This teaching is different. This is a teaching that grips your soul. But look down in there, he says, teach them, here's the word, I want you to teach them to observe. Now this is so important. Like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 6.14, the observe that he's talking about is the I, which is Jesus. Observe all that Jesus commanded you, not what these other, these other super apostles have taught you. But notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say teach them all I have commanded you to do. He says teaching them to observe, which means to obey, to, to do these things all that I've commanded you to do. In other words, don't just go fill their heads with information. Don't just fill it full of a bunch of facts and different things so they can play great Bible trivia one day and be excellent at it. In other words, what I want you to do is, is I want you to fill them in way beyond just the historical Jesus. I want you to help this them to understand this historical Jesus and what he's commanded them as the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's what I want you to help them to understand. See, the problem is Satan, we know this from James, he has factual information. In fact, he has better factual information than any of us in this room. The demons have tons of factual information. They have all kinds of thoughts and understandings. What's the difference? There is something about a heart that is so gripped by Jesus that that information comes in and it absolutely then grips the heart in such a way where it's no longer just about facts and information. It's about a to-do. It's about an obey. We have so seen the greatness and the grandness and the beauty of Jesus. We then say, tell me what to do and I will do whatever because you are the King of kings, Lord of lords. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the teaching we want here. Teach them about that. Help them to understand that. Now, there's all kinds of commands that Jesus gave. Because in some ways, like, you think about it, I, and I was wrestling through this. I, I looked at a few different uh, of the commands. Let me just give you a few that I have. Here's the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Super simple. Two, another easy one. Love your neighbors, yourself. Number three, cakewalk. Love your enemies. Number four, take up your cross and follow me. Number five, don't be anxious about anything. No problem. <laughs> what? And you need help in your walk with Jesus. Always pray, don't hold wrongs against others. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, or in heaven, not on earth. (laughs) Yeah, right now you should all just walk out. (laughs) He's telling us what to think and it's wrong. Maybe one that for some people, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And when you read those things, you think to yourself, how in the world can I ever do that? How in the world can I ever get to the point where I can honestly, as this person who has fallen, self-centered, how can I obey all of these realities but then you look, begin to learn that Jesus Christ, all the commands that he ever gives, as the one who has authority in heaven and on earth, always carries with it promise that lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age, is that while I may be somebody who is absolutely helpless, who cannot keep them, who, and let alone now so, can't get others to keep these particular commandments, he instead beckons me now to come to him and to trust me and to listen to him and treasure him above all else, to abide like a branch inside of this amazing vine and him to produce fruit out of me he understands jesus understands that these commands that he's given us demand that we first come to him and acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords the one who died and was buried and rose again who now grants his holy spirit to the church because we can't keep those commands unless jesus christ does a work in us go tell them Go tell them they can begin to learn that my commands aren't burdensome. In fact, take my yoke on you and it's light. Go tell them that I have hope in my, in my message. Go tell them that I, well, in, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4, that while on one end there is a, there's a light momentary affliction that we experience in this earth, you go tell them, though, instead, that there's an eternal weight of glory waiting for them one day. You go tell them. Go tell them that while they may be weak and there's no way they can pull it off, they can shut off their worry motor, they can shut off all these different realities that they're striving for because everything that they've strove for in life is found in me. Go tell them. And you grasp that too. See, I think sometimes we think it's for others. You ever thought about that? With the gospel, you know, I don't want to just tell others. Man, I woke up this morning... I told my wife, I had made a stupid decision. I told her about three weeks ago, why don't you go and have fun and go up to San Luis Obispo with your friend? I got the kids. Baby, I got them. I don't have them. They have me. I was trying to get up this morning and in getting up this morning, It's amazing how a three-year-old can pull just the right cord in you. I needed the gospel this morning. (laughs) And on a serious level, whether you knew it or not, so did you. Go tell them. Go tell them that. Don't go tell them they need it. Go tell them that you need it too. Go tell them that all humanity, rich, poor, black, white, male, female, go tell them that everyone needs this gospel. And do it in such a way that they're able to teach others who will teach others who will teach others. Because God's intention is that this teaching doesn't just spread throughout Simi Valley. But the reason that Cornerstone is so bought into global ministry, and as long as I'm here, we will never quit. It is a gospel that we learned in the book of Revelation that's to go to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everywhere that Jesus isn't present. I want this message to go, and I want you to teach them and to tell them the grandeur and the greatness of Jesus so that every tribe, every tongue, every nation around this globe might in some way and in some hope proclaim the worth of the Jesus that we have encountered. Go tell them. That means there's some of you sitting in here today, you're supposed to leave Cornerstone, not because I don't love you, but because we're supposed to go. There's some of you, and I look around this room, and there's some of you that are underneath 25, underneath 20, Let me just say this some of you are supposed to go you're not supposed to buy into the dream that says go get a house and go get a car and go get all these wonderful magnificent things go get these things that are the American dream let me tell you something I'm I'm not anti the American dream I'm just really pro Jesus's dream The dream that comes and says, take up your cross and follow me and you won't regret it because what I'm offering is a treasure in the field and a pearl of great price. You won't regret it. And I've seen so many people get to the end of their lives that pursued every dream there was that this world has to offer and they regretted it. And I've met so many that sold out and chose to follow Jesus and just go tell others to begin to engage with what Jesus was doing on this world. And I'll tell you this, those people never regretted it. Oh, tell them. I think even in some ways, let me just say this, and let me be pretty blunt with us in here. I think one of the reasons, potentially, that some people in here have grown lackadaisical, apathetic, that they don't care about things anymore, is because you've lost sight of this dream. You're floating. You're going through the motions. You've learned to just kind of go through life. You used to be a total spiritual superstar when you were in college. Man, when you were with whatever campus group you were with, you were the Bible whiz kid. You were the sharer of your faith. You were the captain of the Jesus team. You were getting her done. You sat through every Bible study there was to sit through. Man, you even were the lone person on this entire planet that understood election. It's so how incredible you were. But then something happens, doesn't it? And don't blame you got married. Peter was married, he did okay being married. Don't blame you have kids. Well, that might be a good excuse. We've just lost sight of the dream. We forgot that we're supposed to share this with people. You ever found like, and again, I don't know if you're this way, but when I'm sharing my faith, there's something about it when I'm out engaging the lost, when I'm, when I'm sharing with them about Jesus, I am no longer bored in my walk with Jesus. I'm getting asked questions that I'm like, I don't know. And all the while I'm trying to act like, oh yeah, I got the answer. Can I get back to you in five weeks? I'd be happy to explain that one to you. But there's a life that comes with it, why? Because when we're joining Jesus and making disciples, and then the first aspect of it is when I'm sharing my faith, when I'm engaging with people that way, the reason that I'm finding life in it, and the reason I'm finding hope in it, the reason that this is beginning to happen is because when I'm outdoing what the one who has all authority in heaven and earth has asked me to do, He's with there with me. There's life there." A pastor that's not doing so well right now, but I loved his quote. "Look at this. Often I meet Christians who are in spiritual melee holding on to their faith but not advancing it much. Bible studies become a chore, prayers are dry routine. The miracle of their own conversion once recounted with great passion is now a distant, fading memory. And going to church is, well, it's something they just do. Mechanically and half-heartedly, these people trudge along through the drudgery of quarantine Christianity. But when these lethargic believers break out of spiritual isolation, meet some spiritual seekers, something incredible starts to happen. As they experience the high-stakes conversations that tend to happen with unchurched people, they begin to notice a sort of inner renewal taking place. Areas long ignored suddenly come alive with fresh significance. Isn't it incredible how elevating our efforts to reach others can be a catalyst for personal growth? Paul is telling the people in Corinth, you used to be this But these super apostles had snuck in and somehow they bamboozled you and told you that Christianity was about health and wealth and all these other things, missing the reality that it is not about health, it's not about wealth, it's not about all those things. It's about Jesus. Go tell them that. But it's not just about sharing our faith. Another guy named Stephen Smallman, I I love this book that I read, but he says this, our involvement in making disciples will be one of the most significant things we can do for our own spiritual growth as disciples. Paul was coming in and saying, you're, you're teaching the wrong message. These super apostles have got you off, off away. But he was gripped by a message that said, we've got to get back in line here. We've got to now engage and we've got to now go Tell. We've got to train people up in such a way that they can go tell and train new people up that can go tell. I don't know if you realize this, but in a few weeks, we're about ready to release another group of 18-year-olds to potentially go all over the place. Did you know that? It's called graduation. Now, some of your kids will still be with you till you're 40, but that's a whole other story. Did you know every year Cornerstone sends kids all over the nation? Have we prepared them? Have we helped them to get excited about who this Jesus is? Or is it just boring and mundane and we've lost the greatness of Jesus? And so to Cornerstone, let me just say this. If you don't know Jesus, I don't think you're here by accident. I think you're here today because you're supposed to be here. I think you're here because for the most of your life you've been wondering how in the world is this life supposed to fit together? I have pursued everything, I've tried everything, I've done everything, I've gone after it. And all I do is keep coming up empty and the reason is, is you're pursuing something that you can never attain. You are grasping for wind, you are going after water and I'm telling you, the answer to everything that you've been looking for is Jesus Christ and Him alone. You battle on a daily basis with your sinfulness You know that you're not right with God. There's something deep within you that even though you try to hide it, it's just there. And I'm telling you, Jesus not only forgives sins, but he comes in and he grants us his Holy Spirit and transforms us, which is a promise, all the way back to Jeremiah, all the way to Ezekiel, that he would make us into the people that he intended us to be. If you don't know Jesus, don't leave here today without knowing the one who has all authority and he has all power. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who rules over heaven and earth. Do not leave today without Jesus because you leave today with Jesus. Lo, he is with you always to the very end of the age. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you always. Don't leave today without knowing Jesus Christ. The rest of us here, go tell them. Make disciples. Some of you have sat through way too many Bible studies. If you go through one more Bible study, man, you're gonna finally complete your card that says I've done a Bible study on every book of the Bible. And let me just say on behalf of all of us, good job. Now, Go find people younger than you that don't know Christ as well and pour your life into them. Go get to know them. Go spend time with those that are younger. I don't know if I want to. Oh, they're the snowflake generation. Oh, and your generation was great, Woodstock. (laughs) Pour your life into them. Help them to encounter Jesus. Help them to see his grandness and his greatness. Allow them to come into encounter with one who has also seen his greatness, not as fake. Man, we've done fake way too long for way too well. We need to stop the fake thing. Go just pour your life into them. If you're someone that's younger than here, go walk up to somebody that's older, you think that walks with Jesus well, and just say, you know what? I I just think I'm supposed to look at you and say... You're supposed to walk with me instead of getting lazy and sitting around eating bonbons and kind of going off and playing golf for the rest of your life. You're actually supposed to pour your life into me, so. Let's hug it out. Come on. Then we'll do a holy kiss. It's simple, isn't it? Make disciples. I'm not talking perfect. Don't think somehow you're going to make the perfect disciple because you're not perfect. Together go and encounter Jesus. If I were to say a line that I would draw through 2 Corinthians, whether you knew it or not, underneath the surface, I think that drove Paul. And I pray more than anything it would drive you. Amen? All right. God, thank you so much for today. Ah. May you do your work to your spirit, your precious name. Amen.